HST 31. Why are you bringing us here? It's scary. Well, that's the whole idea, baby. Pink wants to be scared stiff for you. Who's afraid of a hospital when it goes anywhere? I am. You'd be the fucker will be out of this world. <laughs> Fresh blood. You're driving down a desolate highway. You turn off onto a lonely dirt road. After a long distance, you see your destination. A one-room shack. It looks old and deserted. But from it, you hear weird sounds. Something draws you closer. Do you dare open that door and step inside? Do you dare enter the haunted shack? And now you're host for Haunted Shack Theater. So, yeah, our movie is pretty 
much of Sex and the Single Vampire. This is going to be a pornographic movie from 1970s. Got John Holmes and Sandy Dempsey. And it was directed by Modoke Freezer. <laughs> and written by F.N. Spelling. Get it? F.N. Spelling. Anyway, they all got names. And it's John Holmes the Vampire. Anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh! All right. Hold on, folks. Uh, hippie trippy, witchy uh, party girl wants me to try something here. She's, she put something down here on the haunted glass table. <laughs> Better take this haunted roller, roll dollar bill. <laughs> here we go. Take a sip of her magic potion. One sec, folks. Hold on. What I gotta do? I gotta do the show, baby. Bye. 
buy me a drink? How about coming for a ride? Not here. It's no good here. At first, the police thought the girl had been hacked to pieces by a sex maniac. But now, investigation reveals much more. The terror they are hunting is something less than human, more monster than man. This girl wasn't born. She was assembled piece by piece from living human flesh. The killer took her apart the same way. This is what nightmares are made of. Scream and Scream Again with Vincent Price, Christopher Lee, and Peter Cushing is the ultimate in horror shock that will make you scream and scream again in color. Rated M. Hiya, hiya, hiya. They're shrimply delicious. Hiya, hiya, hiya. You go for that mouth-watering, taste-tempting, meaty shrimp mixture all wrapped up in a crispy noodle jacket. It's a treat you can't beat. So come on, join the folks that are getting fresh, crispy, flavor shrimp rolls now at the snack bar. They're shrimply delicious. Dorian Gray. Follow this man. He alone walks in eternal youth. He alone knows that eternal youth is the ultimate perversion. He alone remains forever young as the whole world grows old around him. Dorian Gray has known many, many women, for he has been 21 for almost half a century. Follow this man into the strangest story you have ever seen. Dorian Gray. Follow this man. See Helmut Berger as Dorian Gray. A Commonwealth United presentation, an American international release, rated R. No one under 17 will be admitted without parent or guardian. Hey, creep. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to the Haunted Shack Theater. Hey, 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 hey. How you listening to the Haunted Shack Theater? Where we cut it right down the bone. You know that meat just tastes so much sweeter. Haunted Shack Theater, where we put in the red, we take it off the meter. Ah, we're burning down the house like it's a cheap plastic heater. Yeah, anyway, we're going to get into sex in a single vampire from 1970. All right, now, our movie opens up and Count Spatula, who's John Holmes, awakens from his coffin. Hold on. Sweetie, seriously, let me try and do the show and get my head... Hold on. Alright, let's, let's get in the movie. We're gonna get in the movie. Oh, God.
He's dressed just like Dracula with a cape and a, a suit and his hair slicked back.
Count Spatula's spying on him. Wow, that's really something. Hey, Rod, where'd you find this place? Uh, it belongs to this weird uncle of mine. I never considered myself weird. Where is he now? Still back to where he came from, Hungary. <laughs> Sprinkling from Hungary? So they start kissing. Does this place have any bedrooms? Why, it's got nine bedrooms, baby. You want to try them all out? What about me? <laughs> Come on, baby. The place is king size. So Ron Lammer takes Sandy Dempsey and the other gal. So they all start doing what swingers do. Come on, let's get out of it and into it. So they get out of it and start getting into it. And then we cut to the next couple. And they're in the other room doing the same thing. Now we're watching Count Spatula and he's spying on all the different couples having sex. And so now it's pretty much just like a standard porno movie. We're watching him watching people have sex. Magnificent, sir. 
you serious? <laughs> May I touch them? Why not? So Sandy Dempsey and the gal start making out. And now we cut to the kitchen where Ron Rammer is looking around and he's finding all these bottles. He's not sure what they are and then he finds an open Coke that Count Spatula had tried to drink and it's still cold. So Ron Rammer grabs the cold bottle of Coke and goes into the room where Lance Slot is trying to get an erection. Well, I thought you'd never ask. Okay, great. 
So they get a little argument and break up and go wandering around the house. And they come to the room where Sandy Dempsey is with that other gal, and it's the girl-on-girl action. <laughs> wow. So he's walking in there, and there's Sandy Dempsey. Sandy Dempsey's a real cute girl. Uh, she got a real pretty body, and she, she died in 1975. This movie's 1970. Uh, there's uh, no, nobody really has any birth date on her, but she died real, real too young. Uh, so it's a shame. There's a lot of Sandy Dempsey fans out there. You know, she just did pornography, and you might include myself as one of them. Now, John Dolgan, who plays Rod Rammer, he's in Garden of the Dead, The Thing with Two Heads, Terror at Orgy Castle, and a bunch of other stuff like TV shows and things. <laughs> now, John C. Holmes plays Count Spatula, and John C. Holmes is kind of, he's been called the Elvis Presley of pornographic movies. He is the king. He is known for his exceptionally large penis, which almost measured out a foot, I guess. He's like 11 and a half inches or something like that. He made over 200 uh, films in his career, most of them adult movies, yeah. Uh, and he kind of went downhill in the 70s uh, due to drug addiction. He's getting a cocaine and heroin and everything. And uh, he was, uh, got involved in the Wonderland murders in 1981. Hold on. Are you, you're just telling me right now. You knew. Jo- wow. Uh, hippie girl just, hippie whippy, twitchy, trippy girl just tell me right now. She partied with John Holmes in the 70s. You knew Billy and Joy through Eddie. We're going to have to talk about this after the show, sweetie. Hey, <laughs> All right, she's got something. Anyway, we get on with John Holmes. John Holmes got involved in the Wonderland murders. Go look it up. Actually, Goulardy's son, the horrible Goulardy, has, has a son, uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, and he made a movie called Boogie Nights, which is based on John Holmes. And there's also a movie called Wonderland, and there's a bunch of books written about him. Anyway, he uh, died in 1988 uh, due to complications from the AIDS. Uh, he had HIV and got the AIDS, and so he died. He was about, 40, he was about 43 years old. Okay, hold on. Hippie girl wants me to try a little of this. What's this? Yeah, hold on. 
baby. Come on. Over. He's unconscious. Excuse me. No. Yeah. 
So you have a 
sent from hell. I'm the motherfucker that rode zigzag lightning down the middle of the Panama Canal. I'm known from the coast of Maine to the coast of Spain. You can look on the Golden Gate Bridge and see my goddamn name. I was converted with 245s on my side and baptized in the barrel of butcher knives. The sting of Zorro's whip can't mark my hide. A rattlesnake bit me and that motherfucker crawled off and died. I hunt trouble every day of my life. And peace and quiet, I do despise. You see, baby, I'm 48 inches across my chest. And don't fear a goddamn thing between life and death. I'm the baddest motherfucker you've ever seen. I'm worse than a bucket nightmare in a midnight dream. You see, everything that I do is wrong. If I go to the store, I stay too long. If I bring back butter, I should have got lard. When I get ready to fuck, my dick ain't hard. But don't play me cheap because I'm skinning and grinning and doing my little laugh. Cause I'm the type of cocksucker to start an uprising in a motherfucker's ass. Yeah. 
I might as well get shitty right on down to the bone. You know, I beat three murder cases before I was grown. I carry a 38 special built on a 45 frame. It shoots tombstone bullets, ball and chain. I sing graveyard songs and I ain't lying. I'm a bad motherfucker and I don't mind dying. I bolted down lightning and captured thunder. I've done some shit that made the whole world wonder. During the war, the army laid down their guns and I won the fight. I've been known to eat a wild gorilla from asshole to appetite. <laughs> Among the hoes, you might hear my name ring. But a bitch with a head shaped like a four-way cold tablet liable to say any goddamn thing. You know, when I go home, I have to walk 44 miles of barbed wire. When I dress to go out, I wear a cobra snake for a necktie. My house is high on a cliff, and it hangs over the edge, and it's made out of human skull. And if I don't start some shit and kick 20 badasses for noon, my whole day seems kind of dull. Yeah. The drink I like best is hydrochloric acid, and I keep me some around. I pissed next to a fireproof bomb shelter and burnt that motherfucker down. But I want you to excuse me for being so bold, but I'm the type of son of a bitch to crawl over 50 good pussies to get to one fat boy's asshole. You see, when I was young and in my prime, I could catch a hoe any old time. Now I'm old and gray and very cold and can't get a bitch to save my soul. So up to it, down to it, and damn the man that won't do it, but he'll run his nasty hands through it, ought to be tied to it and made to do it, because he ain't used to it. I'm Bombay, two times slim. Hey, creep, don't touch that dial. You're listening to the Haunted Shack Theater. Hi, here's Screaming Jay Hawkins from 1970, Moon Bearing Moon Delight.
Thinking, letting others think of bits, then bang, you have the jigsaw puzzle. That was a direct quote from Paul McCartney. For the past several weeks, the eyes of many have left the troubles of the world to unscramble what may be the most fantastic hoax ever conceived by man. Is Paul McCartney really dead? The following is a synopsis of the article written by Mr. Fred Labore for the Michigan Daily. Paul McCartney was killed in a one-car accident in November of 1966. He had just left EMI Recording Studios, where he was working on a forthcoming album entitled Smile. Paul had left the studio quite upset due to some bickering within the group. He sped away on that rainy, chilly night and was found four hours later pinned under his car in a culvert. He had been partially decapitated. This was the beginning of the greatest hoax of our time and the subsequent founding of a new religion based upon Paul as the Messiah. But for the sake of religious records, the Beatles had no premonitions of Paul's death. When the remaining Beatles learned of the untimely accident, they immediately called a conference with George Martin, their producer and agreed to keep the story from the public just as long as possible. George Harrison was called on to bury Paul, and Ringo was to perform the services. 
while John went into seclusion for three days to meditate. After his meditation period, John called another meeting of the group, again including George Martin. The purpose of the meeting was to plan the groundwork for the ensuing hoax. Lennon's plan was to create a false Paul and to bring him into the group as if nothing had happened. They would then slowly release the information of the real Paul's death to the world via clues very cleverly hidden within their records. The plan was adopted and the work began. Their manager, Brian Epstein, was informed of the plan and he threatened to expose the group. But he mysteriously died, leaving only five men who knew the real secret. From that date in 1966 to the present, hidden clues have been found in all of the Beatles' albums referring to death, most of which are directly related to Paul. The first album to contain hidden clues was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The album Smile, that they were working on at the time of Paul's death, was scratched and eventually picked up by Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, and the title was changed to Smiley Smile. Wilson later paid tribute to Paul. The Beatles devoted all of their time to the Sgt. Pepper album, lacing both the cover and the lyrics with clues of Paul's death. The main theme of the cover of Sgt. Pepper is a funeral. The cover shows a group of mourners, most of which are famous persons who died violently. In the foreground is a casket, or at least a mound that could be contrived to look like a casket, with the letters P on it and a left-handed bass guitar, which Paul was famous for. There are numerous death signs on the cover, again, most of which point directly to Paul. One of the prominent figures on the cover is a bust of a man wearing a clerical collar, thus hinting that perhaps this is Father Mackenzie from the song Eleanor Rigby. Father Mackenzie, writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. This Father Mackenzie becomes Ringo, who performed the graveside service for Paul, as public and press were kept unaware of the death. This time, Father Mackenzie could be interpreted to be symbolic of George, who officiated as grave digger. This same symbolism is carried from 1967 to the latest release of the Beatles, Abbey Road, where Ringo is pictured as Undertaker and George as a grave digger. Remembering that it was John who went into three days of meditation explains the reason why John is dressed as a religious figure. And the Abbey of Abbey Road refers to monks and divinity. Again from the album Sgt. Pepper, the song A Day in the Life, the lyrics refer to an auto accident and the body being unrecognizable. He blew his mind out in a car He didn't notice that the lights had changed A crowd of people stood and stared the reference is made to the House of Lords, of which the Beatles were a member after being knighted by Queen Elizabeth. Again, this is tied to the Abbey Road album. In the background, just beyond the Beatles, is a police hearse used only in times of death to a member of the House of Lords. All you need is love. 
The next album released by the Beatles was Magical Mystery Tour, which was filled with as many death signs as Sgt. Pepper, if not more. The Viking symbol for death is the walrus. During the period from 1966 to 1969, the Beatles make mention of the walrus three times. The first is in I Am the Walrus. I Am a Walrus was actually recorded by John. But why is John the Walrus when it is Paul that died? This is explained in 1969 from the Beatles album, the double album, when in the song Glass Onion, the Beatles sing. I told you about the walrus and me, man. You know that we're as close as can be, man. I told you about the walrus and me, man. We're as close as can be, man. John and Paul were very close throughout school and later life. It goes on to say... Well, here's another clue for you, Here's another clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. And finally, in Abbey Road, once again, the Beatles make reference to the walrus, thus making it a total of three times. There also seems to be some significance to the number three. The walrus is referred to three times. There are a series of dots on Abbey Road just before the plaque reading the Beatles. When connected, form the number three. And in Come Together from Abbey Road, they say... That makes a total of three threes, which is nine, which could point toward Revolution Number 9 on the Beatles album. On that particular song, Number 9, played backwards, plainly says, Turn me on, dead man. However, the human voice alone will not come out, turn me on, dead man, when reversed. As if that weren't enough, in Strawberry Fields Forever, a song written just after the decision to replace Paul and fool the world, there is a phrase at the end of the song that is audible as saying, I buried Paul. Let's listen to that one more time. Now, let's look at some visual clues. On the inside of the cover of the fake Paul's left arm is a patch reading OPD, which is a symbol used in England similar to DOA, meaning officially pronounced dead. The medal on his left chest is given by the British Army for heroic death. On the back cover, his back is turned to us while the others face us. These are all on Sergeant Pepper. Now, turning to Magical Mystery Tour, Strawberry Fields was eventually put into Magical Mystery Tour, an album and film chock full of reference to the rainy, tragic night. Lennon's research on death in various cultures can be seen in the tour. The constant appearance of a hand behind Paul's head, a symbol of mystics of death. Clues in the album, Magical Mystery Tour, page three, poster, says, I, you, was. Page 5, appearance of surgeons and policemen who would be involved in a car crash. Page 10 and 13, Paul wears black trousers and no shoes as in burial. Page 13, empty shoes, a Grecian symbol of death, appear next to Ringo's drums. Page 23, Paul wears black rose, others wear red. The songs again are important. Magical Mystery Tour implies the hoax in its entirety and marks Lennon's developing suspicion that the plot is out of hand. They are dying to take us away. 
The fool on the hill sits perfectly still, as though dead, and grins a dead man's grin. On Blue Jay Way, Harrison, wrapped up in Eastern symbolism and religious fervor, implores Paul to resurrect himself before very long, implying for the first time realization of the essentially religious nature of the plot. Number nine, number nine, number nine. The album The Beatles, the double album, makes use of a white cover indicating Lennon's further adoption of a godlike image and an ever-increasing sense of the value of purity to the purpose of the plot. The collage, Paul in the water in the upper left-hand corner, the top of his head is invisible. The middle right side snapshot of Paul with head missing. Dear Prudence, John called McCartney Prudence in the old days when they were called the Nurk Twins. Nearly every song has obvious reference to the hoax. Revolution number nine. Number nine, number nine, number nine. This sound collage is nearly the whole story. Besides the chaos, it contains the religious absolution. Take this brother, may it serve you well. Number nine. Number and of course, nine. the now nearly famous backward beginning, number nine, reversed, which is Turn Me On, Dead Man. Number nine. Number nine. For time reasons, we will not play Revolution Number Nine in its entirety. We invite you to listen to it. It's on the Beatle Double album. But here's another thought, another clue. At the end of the Revolution Number Nine cut, you hear. Hold that line. Block that kick. And on the cover of the Sgt. Pepper album, in the midst of the flowery beetle sign, which could possibly be the coffin, you find a trophy with a football. What does it mean? Abbey Road, John Lennon, the anthropomorphic god. Ringo, The Undertaker, Paul, resurrected barefoot with a cigarette in right hand. He's originally left-handed. George, the gravedigger. They've just left the cemetery. Thus, Paul was resurrected, given a cigarette and let out of the tomb, thereby conquering death with a little help from his friends. Oh, yeah. right. From Abbey Road, that was the cover. Some album music clues in the album Abbey Road, Maxwell's Silver Hammer, means tale of religious justice. Octopus Garden is a British naval slang word or phrase for English center where naval heroes are buried. The second side announces the principles on which the religion will be based. Beauty, humor, love, realism, objectivity. It is a religion for everyday life. so many clues, so many dead ends on the albums, in the songs, on the covers, in the fold-outs. 
There is truly not enough time in 24 hours to go into anything but a broad explanation. With all sincerity, there is no one who can deny that the Beatles are anything but very intelligent men. To be able to carry a theme for three years without anyone figuring it out and without actually telling us what the end results would be is nothing short of sheer genius. The Beatles were first really recognized for their lyric and musical genius by the intellects, for they were the first to understand the mysterious web that John Lennon, Ringo Starr, George Harrison, and yes, Paul McCartney had spun and trapped the world into believing something that only they can answer with any certainty. And it would seem at present they are not ready to solve the puzzle. One of the most asked questions about the hoax that Mr. Labor describes is, who took the part of the new Paul? Mr. Labor explains that the Beatles had a look-alike contest as early as 1964, supposedly for the purpose of replacing the original Beatle in the event of his death. The person chosen to replace Paul is supposed to be William Campbell, an orphan from Edinburgh, Scotland. His picture is enclosed in the collage of photographs in the poster from the Beatles' double album. Is it possible? Is it possible? Who knows? I read the news today, oh boy. This investigation can be compared with trying to convict a murderer on circumstantial evidence. The entire investigation proved one of many points to the researchers, to all of us involved. That point being that with five people, you can get five interpretations. WAKY takes the stand that the Paul McCartney is alive and well. We feel that the references made to death are directly related to a spiritual death symbolizing a new era, a hope by John Lennon and his Beatle compatriots. A new era! that for the Beatles began with the Sgt. Pepper album that seemed to motivate the new generation into a new awareness of the world around us. Through the Beatles' extensive studies with the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, it seemed to start it all. Their shared beliefs that the world of violence must die to make way for a peace without boundaries of race, creed, color, or religious beliefs gives hope to the world. Just as the pilgrims left England to seek their own religious beliefs, the Beatles hope that through mysterious meanings they can get people the world over to stop and search for the true meaning of their own life, rather than the rumors that are a halo of celebrities. For as the Beatles say in Revolution Number 9, take this brother and may it serve you well. Take their deeply hidden advice and may it serve you well. It is the opinion of WAKY's management that it is our responsibility to present this special program. The Beatle mystery has caused a tremendous furor among people of all ages. But to suppress this information would be to ignore our obligation to the general public we serve. 
Responsible broadcasters throughout the nation are coming forth to present the facts and report the results of this terrifically complicated and involved investigation. WAKY is not convinced that Paul McCartney is dead or even ill. In fact, we believe him to be alive. But the question, why did the Beatles start this mystery, must be answered. It was to this end that this program was dedicated. In our efforts to maintain the largest or number one audience in Murfreesboro for our advertisers, who depend on us to tell their messages to the largest possible number of persons, we make every effort to please most of the people most of the time. This is the reason we play popular music, plus gold records that were purchased by a million or more persons. In the case of controversial records, such as Judy May, we do not air these records at all until listener request demands it. As in this case, often the Nashville stations, who are our competitors for listeners, give heavy airplay to these records, causing our listeners to continually call for them. And in order to keep our listeners from leaving Murfreesboro Radio to go to Nashville Radio, we allow limited play, meaning only when requested, and not more than once on each announcer's shift. We do not, and we will never, endorse or promote bad recordings. We will always make every effort to bring you the best radio it is possible for us to produce. We are not perfect. There is only one who was. As far as we know at this time, this record has not been protested anywhere else in the country. And it is Murfreesboro's chance today to cast the first stone. We'll take your calls right now at 893-5373. Taking calls right now at 893-5373. Tell us what you think of this record by Boomer Castleman. As an only child of 17, it hurt when my mama died. And when my daddy got home just a few days later, well, he broke right down and cried. But after a year, he up and wed. A girl that was half his age Then the family was my daddy and me And Judy May Well, my daddy did a lot of traveling around And before he would say goodbye He'd tell me to take care of my new mama She's the apple of his eye And as he kissed his brand new wife goodbye I always used to hear him say, Look after my boy, won't you please now, Judy May. She had to talk to me Cause my dad was gonna be home soon She said, you know what gets so lonely and cold When your daddy has gone for days Oh, what a boy like you could do To Judy May Well, I told her that I'd never done this before And then she took my hand 
showed me all of the secret things that turn a boy into a man. And as I lay there by her side, I heard a noise at the window pane. I think that's just the wind said, Judy May. by merely hiding its problems. We put them right out in the open for all to see. 
we don't do this to be nasty or filthy-minded. We do this so we all might share both our ideas and answers in casual conversation. The song, Judy May, I think, is not trying to lead our minds into the gutter, or at the same time, is not trying to hide a part of reality. Thank you. Thank you, sir. WGNS, your opinion, please. Yes, this is Woodrow Midlock, and I'm pastor of the Billwood Baptist Church here in Murfreesboro. And uh, in regards to Judy May, uh, I think it's one of the dirtiest, vulgarest, low-down songs that I have ever heard. Now, in regards to the father of this boy, and I think if I had been the father of a boy like this and would uh, commit adultery with my wife, I would have committed a suicide too. And I think that this is what it would lead to is in the lives of the people today that is suggesting that uh, it's all right for people to think vulgar thoughts and to even commit adultery with their father's wife. And some people said, well, I can't see anything wrong with it. Well, that, de that all depends upon how you have been trained and whether or not that you are a child of God, been born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Then if you are, you believe the Bible. And the Bible says, and the man that lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness, both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And my friends, I believe that when a person is guilty of placing this before the youth of our land and causing our young people to have these vulgar, sexy, adulterous thoughts, I think the person that spins the record is going to be held responsible. I think the manager of the station is going to be held responsible in the sight of Almighty God when they come into the judgment. Judgment day is out in the future. You're going to have some blood on your hands, and you're going to wish to God that you didn't have this blood. And today, my friend, you're getting warning to try to do something about this. Now, if we can't get, any, can't get you to do something about it, let me suggest to the people that are listening to this radio station and other radio stations call Washington, D.C., air code 202. 